reading from Luke 23, 32 to 46. Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, there they, were cru they crucified him along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others, let him save himself if he's the Christ of God, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said. Since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth. Today you will be with me in paradise. It was now about the sixth hour and darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour. For the sun stopped shining and the curtains of the temple were torn in two. Jesus called out with a large, loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he had said this, he breathed his last. Uh, I'd like, I'm going to read uh, these verses that I want to preach on. So uh, we're going to look at Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 to 15. Colossians 2, 13 to 15. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away by nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a spec public spectacle of them, triumphing over them, by the cross. Well, the death and resurrection of Jesus are what defines Christianity more than anything else does. Uh, the cross has become, of course, the symbol of our faith. And these verses tell us something of what happened on the cross, not just what was seen to the eye, you know, the, the wood, the nails, Jesus hung there to die, but what, what that was accomplishing for the world, what it therefore means for you and for me today. Uh, in these verses, Paul joins a much wider chorus of voices in the Bible, all of which have something to say about the cross, explaining in various different ways what Jesus has done for us there. So these verses don't say everything that there is to say about the cross, but Paul here wants to focus on two things. Now, the first thing is God's forgiveness. Uh, at the end of verse 13, Paul says, God has forgiven us all our sins. And he then tells us that it's as we look at the cross that God assures us of that, that the, the cross assures us that everything wrong in our lives has been forgiven by God. Uh, last October, Sarah took me to see my favorite band play in London. It was one of the most moving experiences I've ever had in my life. 
And at one point, the, the lead singer, uh, he, he performed a new song, which was quite exciting. Uh, and he introduced the song by saying this, and I know this because somebody videoed it and put it on YouTube. Uh, and he, he introduced the song like this. He said, I made this song when I was feeling a lot of guilt, which is an important emotion to have and it's also an important emotion to put yourself past. And I thought that was so true. A sense of guilt over our wrongdoing is one of those things that, that in one sense we need to have, but in another sense it can become extremely destructive if it's all that we have. Uh, without a sense of, of our remorse, you know, guilt over our, our wrongdoing, our sin, the world would be unthinkably bad, wouldn't it? Because we just wouldn't care what we did. But if nothing is done to, to lift us out of our guilt, it can haunt us, it can destroy us, and it can leave us complete wreck. And forgiveness is about that reality, really, in life. It, it's about the sin and guilt that we carry. Forgiveness is about that sin and guilt being lifted from us so that we can go forward with our lives, so that we don't get stuck in it or defined by it, but instead we can move past our guilt and our sin. Now, there are different words for forgiveness in the Bible. And the one that is used here comes from the, the Greek word charis, which means grace. Uh, and in the Bible, grace means a gift that's freely given without any prior requirements to earn this gift and with no strings attached that might mean we would lose it. So, so it's grace is a gift given without any reason and that can never be taken away or lost. So this particular word for forgiveness then is saying that God has forgiven us all our sins without any requirement from us first to do anything and without any condition upon his forgiveness. It is, it is, God's forgiveness is given. It is not earned. It is given and nothing can take it away. Psalm 103 says, God does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities because as high as the heavens are above the earth it says so great is God's loving kindness that's this this word really you know God doesn't respond as we might think we deserve his there is a grace a givenness a free gift in his forgiveness R Romans 5 very powerfully says this where our sin abounded God's grace abounded much, much more. So when we turn to God, we discover that instead of being written off for the sins, as we might fear, we've been forgiven them all. And Paul encourages us here to look to the cross, the death of Jesus, to see that. Because the cross is where the forgiveness of God is revealed to the world to be true. This is not just a nice idea. It is true. All our sins... Every one of them, verse 13 says, is forgiven. And Paul gives us a picture to help us visualize that forgiveness God gives us. Uh, the way he puts it is this. He says, that, he says, imagine all our wrongdoing was nailed to the cross with Jesus. He says, imagine it's all written down. One of the words he uses here is, is a word that means a handwritten debt. You know, somebody's written down a debt that you owe. The other word he uses means a decree, you know, like a king might write down a, a word that's a decree. The, the, in Greek, it's dogmasin. It's where we get our word dogma from. 
You know, so Paul says, imagine a written record of a debt that you owe, or imagine this formal decree, this dogma that is written down over us and against us, he says. Maybe that's how we sometimes feel about the things we've done wrong. You know, it's like a debt that we could never pay, we could never make up for what we've done. Or it's like a decree over our life that we just cannot escape from or move on from or overcome. But then Paul says something wonderful. He says, he says that written record, that dogma against you was taken from us and it was nailed to the cross with Jesus, he says. Uh, when a person was crucified by the Roman Empire, they would sometimes write the charges against them on a notice that was then pinned to the cross. Uh, it's kind of was saying, this is what they have done. Uh, well, the charges against us, our wrongdoing, our mistakes, our regrets, our guilt, it's like they were all written down, but they were pinned not on us, but on Jesus at the cross instead, as if they were written against him. Sometimes we might worry about how God sees us or how God feels about us or how God will respond to us because of the wrong things we've done. We've all done at times in our lives. You know, have we got to do a penance? Can we make up for it with God somehow? Or are we just doomed? Well, Paul brings us to stand at the cross in our mind's eye and to see exactly where God is in relation to us and our sin. And he is on that cross and he is taking the sin from you so that you are free. And that is what forgiveness is about. That's grace. Basically, the cross means, you could say, God has stepped in to take the blame. And the result, Paul says, is that the handwriting against us has been wiped out. And the decree over us, he says, has been, uh, it needs to be lifted away. It's, it's gone. God forgave us all our sins. Uh, it translated in different ways this verse, but God forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the debt ascribed to us and the decrees that stood against us, he took away, nailing it to the cross. It is a really vivid picture, isn't it? Because it brings us and our lives to the very sight of the crucifixion of Jesus. And there we stand, and what do we see? Well, amazingly, we see Jesus on a cross, God himself in flesh, and he's dying for our sin so that we are free. You do not have to carry it anymore. We can move on with our lives with God, made new in his forgiveness. It's a bit like the, the one from whom all life came, the creator, God, has taken responsibility at the cross for all the wrong that we, his children, have ever done throughout time. Why? So that we, his children, can live again. That song I told you about, that, that concert, uh, the first line, first few lines say this. Uh, I won't sing it, I'm not feeling brave enough, but um, he says, I know now that I can't make good how I wish I could go back and put me where you stood. I listened to that again. I hadn't listened to it for a while. Uh, I listened to it this week and it made me cry because we've all been there, haven't we? Sometimes we wish we could go back. We, we've made some mistake. We've said something we wish we hadn't. And like that song says, we wish we could go back and put ourselves in their place and switch places um, so that we can you know, understand and know and, and actually take the pain that we cause someone else. 
instead of being the one that dished it out. And as a Christian, every time I feel like that, I have to remember that Jesus has actually done that for me. He, he's done it for all, all the other sinners too. For every single bit of guilt we carry, he has put him, himself in the place of the victim. So that when we feel that wrenching remorse and regret over the sin, the, the, the thing that we wish we could undo it and go back and undo it, we look at the cross and we know that there is someone else back in time, Jesus, who's, who's directed all of it upon himself so that we can know both, yes, we are forgiven that sin, but also, you know, when we're on the receiving end of someone else's sin, we can forgive those who've sinned against us too. Because there is someone else, Jesus, who has taken the place so that all of it can be directed on him and not against each other anymore. And because it is all grace, no other word, no other dogma that condemns you, whether that's from other people or from within your own self telling you you're terrible, no other word can overturn God's word of forgiveness for you. The cross is too real too definitive, too finished, too decisive in history for anything to overrule it. Even your own internal voice that tells you you're not forgiven, the cross speaks louder. Nothing can turn back what happened that day 2,000 years ago. Your sin is no longer on you, Paul says, because it was nailed to the cross with Jesus Christ. It's not on you anymore. Romans 8, Paul says, who is he that can condemn? Christ has died, he says. That's his answer. You know, who's condemning you? Christ has died and is risen again for you, he says. So I want you to give yourself space now and throughout your life, particularly when you're feeling weighed down by guilt, to just let that sink in. Guilt, indeed, can be an important emotion to have. But it is also deeply important to know how to move past it. Otherwise, it will crush you. And the cross is God's answer that he gives you. I'm just going to pause, actually, and just, just have a bit of quiet, and I'm going to pray. Father, we thank you for the burdens you lift in so many ways. But sometimes this is the really big one. This is one we all have felt, we've all carried, perhaps are still carrying. We know we've all done wrong, we've all made mistakes, we've said what we shouldn't, we've done what we shouldn't, we've neglected to do what we should have. And we just come to you today thankful that your forgiveness is given, it is grace. And that we know that because of the cross. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Now, Paul then takes up another view of the cross in verse 15 because the death of Jesus is not just about our sin it is also Paul says here about the way things are in this universe so according to this verse the cross has implications for what power really is uh, the terms Paul uses here powers and authorities uh, I, what, what that's about is the the large-scale systems, ideas, structures, regimes, whatever it may be, the, the big sort of 
influential, powerful things throughout the history of the human race that have held sway and do hold sway over us and over the world. History, the sort of things that history becomes shaped by. Now, some, sometimes it's good things, but very often those powers and authorities are not good. Some of them are, quite frankly, evil. You know, we witnessed that, haven't we, time and again in the history of the human race, when this evil seems to almost, we're almost amazed it could do it. But evil becomes so powerful and influential that terrible things have happened in the world. Now, Paul says here that the cross of Christ declares a victory over such things. That there, you know, is, in other words, the cross means there is a victory at the heart of this universe, and that you, that victory is not with the most powerful empire, the you know the wealthiest, most corrupt institution, or whatever, and it is not with the most ruthless individual, or the most nefarious, terrible ideas or movements. The victory is not with those things. It is with Christ on the cross. Paul says that Jesus dying on the cross has the most power over history. And, and that, now that's very counterintuitive to the way the world seems to work sometimes and often the way we think of power. Jesus wins by loving us enough to even die for us. Now that's a bit of a shock that, that the cross, a man dying on a cross is more powerful than the armies and empires and other power structures of the world, but it is true. Verse 15, says God has disarmed or stripped away the other powers and authorities. And, and Paul says he's made a public spectacle of them. You know, those other forms of power, the, he triumphs over them, Paul says, by the cross. He makes them look stupid by the cross. The cross makes those sinister powers look silly. Now, Paul is actually using another picture here. The words that he uses there about leading in a public spectacle. Those are the words that they used to use in, in those days to describe what a, what a victorious king would do, you know, after he defeated a hostile army. So the king went and led his armies and he defeated the enemy. And then he would return home to his home city, leading a victory procession. And the defeated foe would trail behind the victorious king in this procession, and he would lead them through the streets publicly, making a spectacle of them, humiliating them. That's how the kings used to do it in those days, because that was how they advertised their victory. But Paul is saying, look, Jesus did something like that on a grand scale when he died on the cross. He overturned what power and authority even means at the cross. The cross showed other forms of power to be a sham in comparison to the love that Christ displayed on the cross. So Jesus is completely different than other kings in that sense. From a, you know, from a purely human point of view, it looked like Jesus was defeated on the cross. But in fact, he was victorious there, Paul says. The world's ideas of power and authority that do harm were defeated. They were embarrassed at the cross, it's, it's like Paul says, they're being paraded before the world, those other ideas of power, and they're being overcome by, of all things, the cross. There's a real irony, by the way, in this, in what Jesus did, because crucifixion itself, as a tool of death, was the epitome of violent, coercive, earthly power. That, that's how Rome wielded 
and held on to its power through fear. It was the symbol, the crucifixion of the enemies of Rome was the symbol of their authority of Rome. But Paul says, by refusing to enter into that game himself, refusing to be that kind of Messiah, and instead by dying for us on a cross, Jesus has disarmed that other kind of power because he's shown it up to be folly. So this, is, this bit of the cross is really about the power structures that are at work behind the, his, the long history of planet Earth. And as the Son of God, Jesus, died on the, on the cross, the world saw, and we still see today, how foolish our own oppressive and violent and selfish ideas of power really are. Because they won't change anything, those other ideas of power. But the cross has and does and will. Here we are worshipping Jesus today. We are not worshipping some empire or some big shot from the past who had loads of money and weapons. We are worshipping the one who was crucified. I think that tells you that the cross is more powerful than other ideas of power. In John 12, as John was about to, as Jesus, sorry, was about to go to the cross, he said this. He said, now the prince of this world will be driven out. And I, when I'm lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. And John says he said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. He was going to be pinned to a cross. But he said, Jesus said, when I do that, the prince of this world is going to be driven out. It meet, what he means is the corruption, the malice, the rivalry, the evil, the death that had so long threatened to drag us down as a human race, it has been dealt a fatal blow at the cross because the cross is so much more powerful for good. Genesis 3 pictured it long, long, long time before uh, in the sense of a serpent. You know, serpents were quite common pictures of evil and, and, uh, and sort of uh, corruption in, in the ancient world. And in Genesis 3, there's this serpent, and it says the serpent may bruise Jesus's heel, but Jesus has crushed the serpent's head. And how's he done it? By dying on a cross. Because that cross has changed billions of lives since. And this means that on the cross, the world sees what it is that wins ultimately who defines the future of things. And it's not ruthlessness or violence or malice or hatred that wins. It is Jesus and the love of the cross that wins. The Baptist minister and activist, Reverend Martin Luther King Jr., he spoke many, many powerful words. He was an incredible preacher. But he spoke these words within the context of, of, of real social change because he was leading, as you know, the civil rights movement in America in the middle of last century. And Martin Luther King spoke out against the racial injustice of his day. But he was so clear that the battle against that injustice must not be fought with weapons of violence or hatred. It had to be fought with the courage of love. He said, love, this is some of what he said. He said, love is the only force capable of transforming an enemy into a friend. Another time he said, darkness cannot drive out darkness, only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate, only love can do that. And he was not being soppy when he said love. You know, he didn't talk about romance here. It took huge bravery. 
It cost him his life in the same way that it cost Jesus his life. But it set in motion both the cross and what Martin Luther King later did as a Christian. It set in motion true change. And that long march of the human race towards a more just world continues on. And we're all part of it because we're people living our lives, deciding how we'll treat each other. And it is still the love of Jesus that must lead us and must show us what true power really looks like. And this is important because when we look at the world around us, we might wonder what's winning. But Paul tells us here, any other power that you may see, no matter how strong it looks, it's been triumphed over, outdone by the cross of Jesus Christ, the greater love that we see there. So these really are big verses. And they're inviting us really, Paul is, to inviting us to see how big a thing the cross of Jesus really is. Paul says the death of Jesus cancels out what condemns us, our sin. And Jesus' death disarms and defeats those things that have power over us. And in the end, I guess we're all being invited, therefore, by God to see the cross and to then live our lives both believing in it and living our lives in the light.